0: Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. And this one is dedicated to Andor. Yes, indeed. The full story of the roguest one from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, and you may be asking yourself, hey, Chris, didn't you do an Andor spoiler special ages ago when it you know aired on Disney Plus? Yes, you're absolutely right. We did. But this is a listener question special. That's right. A listener question special. And we will be joined very, very soon. By Tony Gilroy, the show's creator, and Diego Luna, and or himself, who joined James Dyer for a spoiler special interview. Very, very exciting indeed. But anyway, before you hear that, let me introduce my two colleagues of such lethal cunning for this podcast. First up, I'm joined by someone whose mind is a sunless space, who shares his dreams with ghosts, who wakes up every day to an equation he wrote 15 years ago, from which there's only one conclusion: he is damned. Not my words with the words of James Dyer's
1: Tinder bio. Hello, James. That is true. My dating profile is very much, I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. I don't know what accent there was, there was a little bit of Herzog in there, but nevertheless, I'm crossing the streams.
0: I would like to see the baby. Can I offer you
2: a libation Condemn'd to- to use the tools of my enemy. <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, here he goes, treading all over my intro for our next, our next person, because <laughs> next up is someone who's condemned to use the tools of her enemy to defeat them. She burns her decency for someone else's future, which is nice. She Very burns good. her life to make a sunrise as she knows she'll never see. And she makes lovely television as well as Sophie Petzl. Hello.
2: Hi, I'm back again. It's me. Sorry.
1: <laughs> it's back. You're back. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> I'm the problem,
2: uh, <laughs> it's me. And for a second, I thought, because I felt so unprepared when you said that we've got Diego Luna and uh, Tony Gilroy, I was panicking, like, what now? They're coming now. But I, I haven't rewatched the show. I don't know what to say. I, I'm not a journalist. So, um, Tony
1: Gilroy is coming here. Yeah. <laughs> we should double <laughs> our <should be>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gilroy is not as forgiving as I am. <laughs> um, can I just bah, say, I need, bah, to, bah. I need to start this podcast, first and foremost, yeah. by apologising officially to Sophie. Uh, oh. Because oh, Lord. when... Before this came out... I was, so many things. So many things. I was <laughs> yeah. very vocal about the fact that I gave no fucks whatsoever about Andor. I didn't want to see it. I didn't care about it. Wasn't interested. I was like, he's the blandest, most tedious character in all of Star Wars. Why does he get his own show? Who cares? And then I watched the first three episodes, and I think having already decided I wasn't going to like it... Those first three episodes, I didn't hate them, but I was a bit like, I, I, just, I don't know.
0: already decided I wasn't going to like yeah. it, that is
1: the most James star sentence <laughs> yeah, I think I've so ever heard. I had decided that. And so I was still a bit three-starry on it. And it wasn't until I watched the whole thing, I was like, this is a masterpiece. It's glorious. As Sophie said, it would be from the beginning. And you were you were like on board. Well, no, when it started, like, I remember you tweeting after, the, I think, the first episode oh, that okay. this was amazing. And you were on board. And I was like,
2: is it though?
1: And you're like, yes, yeah. yes, it yes, is. Yes, And you were right.
2: Because, right, because I didn't want to take too much credit because absolutely I was in the same camp before it started. That, like, uh, who wants to watch a show about the boring guy from Rogue yeah. One? Um and we love Diego Luna. I love Diego Luna, but, like, not much to do in that film other than frown and. Um, and drown. Frown and drown.
0: <laughs> frown and drown.
2: Episode, yeah. No, from episode one um I, I wish i could remember what i actually felt cuz i'm absolutely terrible with recalling um my initial instincts from a show i sort of in, inhaled um a few months ago now but um yeah just the difference of it and the the sense of um i guess intention behind it and purposefulness and not free-willing comic booky um we just felt so i don't know so refreshing and exciting! I was very excited about it very early.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, indeed. I, I'm I'm in a similar boat. Uh, in that I didn't watch past episodes one to three for a long, long time. I just had a lot going on in my life, and I I liked and admired the first three episodes. You can go back and listen to our spoiler special reaction to that show, and I was very much on board. But I just never really got round to it, and then it became a thing that I never wasn't getting round to it. And so <laughs> that became my identity. For a while, uh, and then we, you know, we got the Tony Gilroy Diego Luna interview, which you're just about to hear. This is a very cack handed way of setting that up. Uh, but because we got that, we decided to do this podcast. And then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna find the time to watch nine episodes of Andor. And I did, I watched them all pretty much. In a row, and I'm very tired. I thought it was great. It's terrific. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm
1: quite on the masterpiece. Um, do, you, do you think that's because it's obviously the hype superb. is now built, and you've come to it after the fact? But also, I guess you knew what the key plot points were going to be before you watched it, right? So yes,
0: and no, because even though I did, I edit the Andor supporter special. That you guys did. I think and you were did, obviously yes. you were, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if I did or not. I think someone else may have edited that one. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I certainly listened to it. Uh, but even then, because you're all incompetent, you didn't really discuss. <laughs> the ending proper of the show. <laughs> all right, that doesn't shock me. Uh so yeah, there were certain things I didn't know. I knew that Stellan Skarsgård had an incredible monologue. Uh I knew that Anti Circus couldn't swim. I knew there was a, a prison <laughs> breakout. But beyond that, uh I knew that something bad happened to Fiona Shaw. I didn't realize it was just natural causes. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that I knew very, very little about the show and where it was going. And so I was I was really, really gripped. It's such a meticulously paced show. I love the way that it, it it gives everyone something to do, which seems like it seems like screenwriting 101, but it actually that's very very difficult in uh, a show with with a cast this big. It gave everyone something to do. It gave them uh, a reason to exist as well, which I thought was really really uh, really clever. And I I, I just love the the way that it would reinvent itself every three episodes or so, while still pushing along the larger plot and filling in the blanks. You know, it's not just about Andor. It's not just that like we come to care about the boring guy from Rogue One. Is that we come to care about Mon Mothma and her terrible, toxic marriage and her horrible financial problems. We come to care about Stellan Skarsgård and his terrible wig. We come to care about all of these amazing characters uh, and the way that it. The way that Gilroy. Parcels out the information so that, that, you know, we don't realize that Fel is Mom Mothma's sister, sorry, cousin, until what, episode eight? Mm. Stuff like that, little, little reveals that are just beautifully, beautifully dropped. And then, of course, there's there's just things for me like, the just a horrible tension of the heist episode where you just know that something's going to go horribly, horribly wrong, but you're not quite sure how or when. Uh, That's a beautifully, beautifully orchestrated episode. And then it's a prison break and everything. I, I, I thought it was absolutely terrific. Absolutely terrific, um, and uh, which is good because we have Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna. <laughs> so, uh, and otherwise, I could have passed um, on your disappointment if you didn't like it, but yeah, that's it's good. It's you yeah. <laughs> Phew, that's lucky. Uh, so here we go. Here is James talking to uh, Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna on Zoom. It was last week. You had about 45 minutes with them, Jimbo. I did. And we've already had an excerpt of this on the regular podcast last week, but this is the full unexpurgated 45 minutes. I, I hope you talked about the end.
1: We, we may have mentioned it. I did, I did, of course, ask them, you know, where the idea came from to have stormtroopers beaten to death with a brick made of Fiona Shaw, which is an extraordinary <laughs> sentence.
0: Uh, here you go. Uh, Luna, Gilroy, Dyer, together at last. Enjoy.
1: <laughs> well, guys, thank you very much for joining me and welcome to the Empire Spoiler Special podcast. As is in the title, this is a spoiler special interview, so nothing is off the table. No spoilers too big. Feel free to go completely berserk. But I would like to start with a few very general things. And one is this, that we obviously named and or our show of 2022 and with very, very good reason. Uh, a lot of people called this one Star Wars for grown-ups," which seems slightly reductive, but I think actually is a fair description of what this is. And I guess what I wanted to ask you guys is like, were you surprised by that label and by the reaction to the show as a whole?
3: We sort of grew this in a hothouse off by ourselves. You know, we started this just before COVID and then, and then we restarted very quickly. One of the first shows to start back up or try to. And we then proceeded for the next two years sort of under the covers. So we, we were given such a, uh, we were given such encouragement and support from Disney. They know what we're doing. Um, We knew that we were, we knew how far afield we were going. Um, but I think, I don't know, Diego, I, I know you probably feel the same way. We like, we were so hidden away for so long and, and, uh, it was, <laughs> it was uh, when we finally actually, you know, we can't have test screenings or do anything like that because it's Star Wars and so we finally, we finally started showing it to people. We were just so shocked that even to be showing it. So the whole thing was shocking in a way. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, I think it's unfair to say
4: grown-ups because uh, my kids love it and uh, uh, my, my son would get really pissed off with that. Uh, that to be honest I think it's uh, it's it's not a it's not about that it's not I don't think it's about age it's just it's just about being different you know than what you normally expect uh, or or what you're seeing now these days uh this show was not just allowed to be different was meant to be different but same thing happened with rogue one when it came out you know and it had such a definitive ending (laughs) basically that was new in star wars that nothing ends you know it's a, it's a cycle that keeps moving uh, and and this film had an ending a dramatic one and everyone went like what Can you do that in star wars and we were well we were allowed to do that in star wars we were asked to be different and same same with this show i also think that uh, uh, one thing that was very important and and is is this what tony's talking about we were there doing it well the world was going mad and trying to understand what was happening. Uh, when people were like, uh, you know, reflecting on what what this meant and what to do and how to relate with what mattered to us, and we were we were working and we were putting all of that into the show we were making. So it's as complex as the moment we were going through, you know, uh, and as humanity. I mean, I can't think of of, of a of of us most difficult shoot in my life than this one, because <laughs> at the same time we were going through this feeling of like shit. The world we live living is shaking. That's not real anymore. And uh, and uh, my God, this is happening, and and uh, and it's happening to all of us at the same time. What is this? No. And at the same, we were getting to work, and we could, every every dynamic had to change everything was different was special unique uh and very and hardcore in many ways so i think the the show is loaded with that you know mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it, it felt very much to me. I mean, I've been immersed in Star Wars since I was a very, very small child. And going into this, I was like, this is something I've never seen before. Like, this felt... Rogue One, you're absolutely right, had a different texture to the Star Wars we were used to. And it had a, a grittier texture. I mean, when we first encounter Cassian Andor, you know, you're killing Danny Mays. Do you know what I mean? That's how we first meet him. So there's no messing about from the get-go. But I feel like this series <laughs> took it to a whole other level. Like, So we begin this show with Star Wars first strip club which is a bold statement of intent i'm gonna say uh <laughs> you know it's, it's a big thing i mean was that part of this were you trying to shop beginnings were you trying to show people if not to shop that this was something new that this was something they were going to need to adjust to
3: yeah i mean look you don't you don't just this isn't like a a whaling trip where you sign up and jump on the boat and get off and you you're gone i mean there's a long there's a long bit of foreplay before anybody gets really serious for showing, and I've always believed in, in in showing a great deal of work before you close the deal, so you make sure you're on the right thing. Um, and so, yeah, I I wrote these first three episodes, uh, I had them pretty well articulated before we ever finalized that we were going ahead. And yeah, they're, 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 that that's certainly in my mind. It's like, okay, well, uh, this is what we're going to do, and um, and. Uh, And is that going to be, are we going to meet resistance? If we meet resistance on this, is it going to be a, I mean, you know, this is a long-term marriage. You do not want to get involved if you're going to have trouble along the way. And so it it kind of, it it fit for the story. It fit for the moment. Uh, I wouldn't have done it just as a, as a test, but it did do double duty on that. It, 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 It was a, it was a sort of uh, a line that we could see if people were willing to cross.
1: Yeah, and then you come out of that essentially, and and Cassian kills the two Primor security guys. He doesn't set out to kill them; it's not his fault, but it does happen. And when he's kind of when he knows he's in trouble already, he basically shoots a guy in the face. I mean, how did you feel about the that Diego when you when you read that script? Because again, it's no messing around, is it?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I felt I was like reading something Tony Gilroy uh, was completely behind, you know, but the same thing uh, uh, from, from, uh, from Rogue One. It's like uh, Tony's energy is, is is very strong. It's very clear. It's unique. It's a voice. And, uh, and to me, to me, that's what's uh, what makes this show special that it commits to a perspective and it's his, you know, Mm. and, uh, and the way he delivers is, is just like no one else. Uh, and therefore, this is a very specific show in the universe of Star Wars that goes through one one point of view. Uh, and uh, I, I felt it was very exciting to see someone making a choice uh, like that one, you know, because that sets uh, the, uh, what kind of people you're going to meet in this show. People that are, are are surviving, you know, and that are are trying to to find a way to exist in a world that is not meant for them, you know, uh, in 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 a world that is full of contradictions, and and uh, and and these characters are are real, are real in that sense, you know. the they're, they're, I I love that. Uh, I said it one day, uh, and, and and I I remember that. It's this is this is in this film the leads are people are, are characters that would never be the leads in other films. You know, in this story, uh, we are following the real people. We are following the ones that laws, that are contradictory, that are uh, that are not for the whole time the best version of themselves, uh, and, and therefore characters you can relate to, and uh, and that's
3: clear from the beginning here. Mm. I'll say one last thing. I won't. I won't digress only because it's interesting to what you just asked, and I'll, I'll say it very quickly. There's also, um, and and this is something that uh, instinctively you're doing in the beginning, or I was doing in the beginning, but you, but 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 the full, the full bloom of it is only becoming real to me now as we're as we're as we're finishing the writing of season two, the, the second half. When he shoots that guy, when he when he kills those guys outside the brothel, it also. Uh, part of it is it also gives resonance to the scene that you're talking about later on with Danny Mays. It's like I went back and looked at it. and go, my God, how many times has he done this? And we find ourselves, it, it, it was sort of a little breadcrumb along the way to go, oh, we can we can, we can, can begin to uh, uh, more deeply resonate what happens in Rogue and where people know with things that happen now. Now, we found over the course of the last three, four years of, of doing this and writing it and digging in and all over it, All kinds of things that are like that. That was the first. I'm not sure it was even intentional at that point, but, but we've just been finding things along the way, particularly now as we end up in the material we're into now of how, just how, just how sad and, and complex we feel. We feel. As we're going, through, as we're as we're wrapping
1: it up. Yeah. You kind of almost wrong foot people from the beginning, right? Because when he's in the kind of strip club brothels place, the foot, what the reason he's there is he's looking for his sister, right? That's the reason he's there. And so we think, okay, this is what this show's about. It's about show about Cassian looking for his sister. And while that does percolate in the background, that's not what the show is at all. And in fact, Marva very clearly says to him, give up. Everyone from the planet is dead. She's gone. Like, was that a red herring? Were you seeding for the future? Like, what were you doing with that? thread
3: well all of the things that you said I mean I didn't want it to be uh, I didn't want it to be a, uh, it's a complicated answer because the, the the evolution of the storytelling in the show is it, it's such a rolling uh, it's such a rolling event um, you have big intentions and big navigational landmarks and places you know you're going to get and things you know you want to do but within that you're waiting for characters to rise and you're looking for things to lean into all along the way um, uh uh, that moment just was really. It, it is what it is. I mean, it it is what it is. And at least to the conversation with Marva, which is just another dead end for a character who just has a you know, the Cassian Andor at the beginning of our show is just one big dead end. Everything is dead. And it, and it's important. It's important to understand. Sorry, uh, you
4: know, the, the it's it's a, it's someone looking. I mean, trying to try, trying to find out what's left. From who he is, you know, and it it serves it allows you to understand perfectly uh, the man the man you 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 get to see because that's something I, I realized when when jumping into this show that uh, that Rogue One doesn't do Rogue One is is pretty much a a, a story about an event you know and there, yes there is characters that are part of that event that matter a lot but we know very little about them and here in one scene well or in one sequence you get to learn so much about Cassian just by that scene in the brothel and the decision he makes right after, you know, it sets you in the like in the right direction. You understand that guy, you, you, you know, a lot of him and, uh, and it, and it's, it's quite interesting when when you're seeing a character you think you know and you realize you know nothing about.
3: You know? It also motivates a lot of future behavior when you really when we really get into it. The idea of leaving people behind and what it costs them to leave things behind, yeah. and that's going to become a big uh, that's going to become a big issue as we move into the second half the 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 fear of
1: the fear of being someone who leaves someone behind and what that costs them. I mean, when you wrote this season, you you wrote it in four blocks. Did you have the second season's blocks in mind as you were writing these ones? Was it all one big picture to you from the beginning?
3: No, I mean, I knew we were going to end up. We we originally had like you know, everyone knows we had a five year plan. There were there were a bunch of events, you know, some canonical events and and, and big navigational points along the way. But uh, now really? we were shooting. We were, we were up in Scotland, and we were just like, "What are we doing? How will we ever how will <laughs> we <laughs> do this?" So. Um, that, the new structure came about while we were making it, but we, we knew we were always going to end up at Rogue One. We knew that, you know, Mon Mothma has to do certain things on the calendar that have to happen. We know that certain things happen in the galaxy at, at certain times. But, um, but no, we, we, uh, the 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 seed the, the seed for the proper structure uh, came about while we were shooting.
1: Yeah. One thing about this that uh, is exactly as you touched on Diego like it feels real, it feels genuine cuz Star Wars has always been about duality, hasn't it? It's been about big galaxy changing events. And I love that this is real people who are not you know light side or dark side they're just people getting by doing what they've got to do but it's also a world in which it doesn't have to be a life-changing event sometimes it's just that someone's boyfriend got jealous and dobbed him into the police and that's what sets everything in motion Achoo. and ferrix just a whole of ferrix from the way it's set up all of it has that kind of same sort of lived in real Feel to it, right? Everything from the streets, the way it feels pre-populated to Anvil Guy, who may be one of my favorite things on TV. Uh, where did Anvil Guy come from? The Time Grappler. That's
3: the one. Um, I mean, uh, you know, the other uh, one of the unsung storytelling collaborators on the show is Luke Hall, who's a production designer. I mean, Luke is really like almost my primary writing partner in a way. He's the. He's my first call all the time. So Luke and I had worked for months before we even ever got any other writers involved in building Farricks and building the society and what would it be like. And I'm not exactly sure when I came up with that idea, but the idea that, you know, we're trying to build just such a deep, rich culture, uh, you know, ethnographically build a place that really is completely real to us. And, and, And ideas like that come up. And my God, how great a place where... Where nobody wears a watch and everybody knows that time <laughs> passes by, by, by a different system. And then I got with Nick Bertel and, and we, and, and actually Nick and I were working uh, pretty early on. It was a year before we even started in, and, and, uh, we were doing the funeral theme and we, and we came up with the eight times of day, you know, and, um, I, I don't know, I man. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's half fun. And uh, or, or one third fun and one third necessity and 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 I don't know what the other third is. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's the details, right? It's those little details that make it is work.
3: Building, yeah, that is the that is it's, it's building a fundamental reality to every single moment in the show. Everybody's yeah. behavior, every situation, every bit of risk, every action, everything that we do. As a platform of absolute reality and 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 it's a rigorous master to to uh to uh, obey but um once you start doing it you can't turn it back turn it turn back because anything you do that's cheating anything you any corner you cut is immediately just it doesn't smell right you have to be there all the time
4: but it, it was a it was a dynamic that as, as tony says once you start you 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 can't you you can renounce to it, you know, because it's a it's addictive. Because every moment you can explain it as if it was part of your life, you know. And, and Tony has that. He when, when you read a scene, I mean, yes, we're living in Star Wars, but in a second he goes like, imagine you wake up in your kitchen and you're doing this, and your <laughs> wife comes up and says this, and suddenly you are talking about a life that is just similar to yours, and uh, and uh, and the references are so close and personal that uh that everyone ends up relating you know and it's fascinating when you are even though you are in this galaxy far far away you're still talking about your life about those little details that make life interesting you know and and when 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 you arrive to sets that rigor was behind every decision. There was nothing there because it looks cool. And then find a way to relate to that piece of, you know, yeah, design. No, that design has the meaning. It's there because it does this and that, and it serves you in this way. I remember one rehearsal uh, I was doing, and I... Uh, It was the first time I got into Marva's house, into our house, you know, and I am rehearsing for the first time there and I go, it would be cool to open that drawer and go there and find some stuff I need to fix this other thing because it makes sense, right? And I go with the director and say like, as if I open this and I open (laughs) it and it's full of shit and everything works and everything needed if you were there. So someone, ha- someone already made the choice, you know, for me. I, I was just responding to, to things that were there, you know, uh, which is what acting is, it is, you know. But uh, but look, put I mean, put stuff inside the drawers just in case you were gonna open them. And what's there is not just like, you know, fake stuff, it's stuff you can bring out and use in your scene. And that logic suddenly was everywhere, in every decision, costume, makeup, and it's just fascinating because then uh, it's uh, it's so real that uh, that your performance has to make uh, make that believable you know you can go in a different direction and you start behaving like you behave in life and everyone actors that would come for for one day would go into the, the same tone <laughs> we were all in a second you know because the whole environment like pushes you
1: there. It feels lived in. Like all of it feels very genuine. I mean, even down to like, when you get to the end, when you get to the, the, the Rick's row, where, where the idea of they're so, a part of their buildings and their city that they're literally in the buildings like they're a part of it and if only because you managed to have brasso literally beating stormtroopers to death with a brick made out of fiona shaw which may be the most ridiculous (laughs) sentence i've ever said but also the greatest thing that's ever been on screen
3: (laughs) thank you i mean look man it it's a gas. It is. I just wrote an email to a friend who I haven't talked to in a long time. And I go, look, man, this is just the, 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 the maximalist imaginative experience of all time. But it is, as like I said before, it is a harsh mistress, man. Once you start, you can't stop. It's literally like, there's no, there's no alternative. You realize you you've, you, you you know, you're a vegan forever. Or, you know, you're, you're committed. You have no other way to go. So it's um, um. I think we're feeling. You're catching Diego and I at a good moment because I'm about. Be, I'm going to finish all these scripts in the next couple of weeks, and we'll have everything under control, and we don't have to come up with another season, and we can just roll hard all the way through what we're doing. So we're a little bit. I mean, this—if you caught us this time last, last time two years ago, man, I was freaking out. Oh my god, what really? are we going to? I'm sure he was freaking out. How hell how am I going to do? <laughs> yeah,
4: it's so nice that uh, it just feels like a like, yeah, a weird, long, gigantic film we got ourselves into that we were also like, kind of like fixing and deciding on the way. But, uh, but it still has that in that integrity you know of a beginning and an end and and uh, and that is that is that is beautiful I think that's a big difference uh today you know I think uh, the anxiety of not knowing how things are gonna end it, it's it's not good And <laughs> in this business uh, right now is happening everywhere you know like with this this idea of serious is shooting something and not knowing what's coming, you know, actors not knowing how long they have a job or uh, <laughs> if, uh, if if I don't know, I like I I love the feeling of of, of being doing just such a like uh, uh, how do you say uh, a, a, f- a a film that has so much time for detail you know it is it it is it is beautiful to have 12 episodes to tell this story uh but also to know that there's there's an end to come it just makes makes the journey
1: much more uh, enjoyable i think because you've got a destination and it has a focus to it right you know where you're going it's
3: determined We, we we know yeah i mean it's determined and it's and it's uh and you uh, again, I, I'm not teasing season two, and we're not supposed to be, te- but like, we're in it now and like watching, uh, what we're doing now and, 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 and seeing what happens to these people. I mean, even as I was writing it, uh, coming up with this, this thing, we were mixing and coloring and doing all the stuff for the last six months that we do. And I'd go to mixing sessions and color sessions and I'd watch all these characters and I'd spent the day figuring out what their fates were going to be. And it was really, uh, oddly, very unique experience for me as a writer. Oh my God, it feels, oh my God, if she only knew what was going to happen to her, if he only knew what was going to happen. And and we're into that now. So there's a, um, yeah, there's a determined, there's a determined
1: inevitability
3: about what we're doing that, that's satisfying
1: to us. We mentioned Rick's road very briefly there. And as a question I wanted to ask you, we spoke to, uh, to, to Denise Goff about that particular sequence. And she mentioned that when Marva stands up and goes, fight the empire, that that, may not have been how it was written in the original script. Can you tell me what happened there <laughs> and whether you thought you were going to get away with Star Wars's first F bomb?
3: You know, uh yeah, there's no denying that. Uh we knew that that would be uh, a question mark, so we you know, we 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 knew that we had a an opt out. People were nervous about it. Some people were some people were very excited about it. I wrote a long memo about it arguing the pros of it and 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 but 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 knowing full well that that um I, I wasn't demanding anything in the, in my email. I was basically saying, here's the reasons why I think it might be a good idea. But I wasn't, I, I'm certainly not shy about demanding things or, or fighting for things. But it, it's also the support that we've had from, uh, Disney has been, uh, I mean, unbelievably unique. I mean, I've never had it on any, even, even when I've had Final Cut on films, I haven't, we haven't had this much support. Um, so it it really wasn't a place to, it wasn't a hill that anybody
1: wanted to die on. It was a nice thing to have. Star Trek are doing it, but that's neither here nor there. No, but
3: we have, we have, look, we can, uh, we have, there's, I watch shows all the time and I go, wow, oh, I wish you could do that. I wish you could do this, but we can't. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there are some limitations to what we can do, but they're not many.
1: Well, one thing I do want to talk about is you have essentially three key points of view in this, obviously lots and lots of characters, lots of moving parts, you've got Cassian, you've got Mon Mothma, and you've got Luthan Rail. And Luthan, I guess, is the, the character we know the least about. He's the most mysterious character in there. But also, I mean, apart from Cassian, he probably has the largest impact on us. And I think a lot of that is down to, and I think you know where I'm going with this, the one speech that he gives in One Way Out, which is an extraordinary scene. And I just kind of, what were both of your takes on, A, reading that on the page and then, because this was that was both script, right, that particular one, and then seeing him perform that speech?
3: Well, I mean, look, it's a rolling writing process. I'm not going to get into attribution of everything. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's very... It's, uh it, it, everything's been worked on. It's a, it's a very important idea. Um, we'll be dealing very much, I mean, Luthen's evolution through the show is, um, it, it is in some ways almost the spine of the show, wouldn't you say? I mean, really what happens to him is really, and, and how he affects everybody around him. Um, and he needed, um, uh, he needs several things. He needed, uh, he needed a, uh, he needs to be explained. His behavior needs to be explained. His worldview needs to be explained. Um, I think along the way we'll try to explain some of his origin story and some of the things that have happened. And uh, um, it's uh, it's a character that that demands that demands that kind of um, description in a way.
1: I mean, it feels like you are leading us by the nose a little bit with him. Like he has a cape, his ship has lightsabers on it, his cane has a very familiar kind of look to it. I mean, is there a sense of like pushing people's buttons, leading people red herrings, hints?
3: No, 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 no. I'm not. I, that's not a. Um, I mean, that's not a thing for me. No, I, I, I'm not going to comment more about that. But that's not. That is not. That was not how he was built. I'll tell you one thing that uh, that happens. I'm going to speak about that same uh
4: the speech and and the delivery and what happens with when an actor like stalin uh and uh and I, but i think this applies for for the rest of the cast uh it's it's actors that are capable of of doing great things, you know. All all of them, like the casting, and and we talk a lot about the design, and we talk about a lot about look, and with. But the casting of this show is something also we have to talk about because it's it's uh it's it's quite peculiar. It's uh, every actor is 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 understands the role perfectly, which is something very difficult to 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 get to but i would say that the writing uh, of of tony uh, is also the best material a, an actor can get and when you get great material and and you have an actor that uh, that, that is as capable as uh, as stella nicce it's just like it becomes something else, unique. You know, it's like when 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 the two things are working perfectly together. You know, thinking perfectly, and and this happens with all the characters, not just with him. Like characters coming for a day or for three episodes. I mean, Andy Circus, for example, <laughs> the character read like one thing, but then he arrived to set and deliver the lines and brought everything he could bring to those lines because he understood perfectly the need for that character for that energy uh his need in this show was clear to him and uh and it was clear on the writing therefore he could come and perform and elevate that to where to to what it is now and i think that happened that happened to most of us you know i mean we we, we suddenly were dealing with material that allows us to be the best version of ourselves and and that is that. That doesn't happen often, and uh, and that also makes this show very very special,
1: you know. Was great, but I loved for example, I love Cassian's dynamic that he has with Skeen, you know, when he's trying to get into the group before the heist the way they're sort of rubbing against each other and obviously the way that ultimately resolves it tells you so much about who cassian is as he tries to kind of fit into that group but is always slightly on the outside and it's interesting the motivation because obviously when he goes into it he says he's up front he's like i'm just doing this for the money but then at the end of it you realize he's not just there for the money that's not who he is like did you think that was a, was that a deliberate thing to just tell you that about his character that he's getting sucked into the cause he's getting sucked into the rebellion but also that he has a very specific moral code like he'll shoot skeeve dead for conspiring for trying to rip them off but he won't take the money
3: uh i mean i think he thinks about it <laughs> <laughs> you see him think about it for a moment um you know It's a, the, the journey to get him, the, the, the goal was known by the end of the, by the end of 12 episodes, he's got to go from being a roach to being like, you know, a butterfly and he's got to be, he's got to say, okay, I'm, or not a butterfly, but I'm, I'm willing to be, I'm, you know, kill me or take me in. And what are the stations of the cross that one has to, has to ingest to get to that point? And, and, you know, it's kind of a laundry list. Well, you know, it'd be really good if, if he was, uh. If there was a dialectical approach, it'd be really good if he was exposed to, you know, the tragedies that other people had. Uh, uh, it, 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 it'd be good if we could hit every single um, propellant that he might have to get him there. And, um, you know, scheme that the Aldani raid shows him all kinds of things and exposes him to all kinds of things. And Skeen... Shows him the soft underbelly of how vulnerable this whole thing is as well, and how much like the rest of the world and everything that he thinks it is, you know, it's a, a, it reinforces a cynicism in him. And what does he do? He runs off to go party. You know, he runs (laughs) off to party. And, and then... You know, and that turns into uh,
1: Narquina. I, I absolutely, first of all, I love that you shot that in Blackpool for a start, the, uh, the beach black But I love that he's not arrested for the heist. He's not arrested for doing anything wrong. He is arrested by the grinding deafness of tedious bureaucracy, which is the beautiful, beautiful touch. He's like, I didn't do anything. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shopping while
3: Mexican. I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a, yeah, I mean, that. It was fun to, it was fun to find that. Uh, and it was fun to realize that, you know, cause we're not doing, we're not, and we said a million times, we're not trying to do like, you know, a beat for beat comp with contemporary society. But it really was fun to sort of find that and go, wow, you know, a lot of people are going through this right now. And a lot of people have, you know, been subjected to all kinds of, uh, um, uh, pullovers and random questionings and all kinds of things. Let's take it all the way.
1: The I mean, the heist is spectacular for a visual point of view. And I just want to say, you know, the fact that you use location for this is wonderful. Like the LED volume that they use does amazing things, but there is no substitute for how sweeping and epic the vistas of this are. Like the, it's, it's actually incredible the way it looks. But the, the thing that really stands out for me most is almost not the location where it's the prison, right? It's that prison that you came up with uh, and I suppose the question I would ask is where did that idea for the prison come from? Uh, and it's slightly terrifying that it actually thinks that it feels like that's something that someone could actually, you know, build. We were,
3: that came up from, that actually, that is actually a real product of the fertility of that little writer's room that we put together, this five, six day thing that we had with my brother and Bo, with Dan Gower and Bo. That's when, that's when really... That's the huge contribution that we we get from that that sort of booster and engine there. And I said, okay, man, I have a blank section in my Bible. It'd be really great if you went to prison. I could really see prison as a radicalizing Spartacus kind of thing, but we can't do a prison unless we can do something completely unique. And boy, oh boy, the bar is really high. I mean, the the amount of quality prison material that we watched in movies for the (laughs) last hundred years is just astonishing. So what are we gonna do that's special? And I don't remember who said in the room electric floors. I don't know exactly where it came. But the moment it hit, everybody started riffing on what this would be. And Luke Hall was in the in the room, and Zana Wallenberg was there, and we sort of built it over the course of an afternoon. And you go home at night, and you go like two things: one, wow, maybe someone already did this and it exists. And number two, wow, would someone ever do this because we did this? You know, and it's like. I don't know. I was always waiting for someone to say, "Oh my, you know, I was always waiting for someone to say, "Well, there is a there is a prison in Belarus, it's just <laughs> like that." You like, but it hasn't happened. So, hopefully no one will uh, hopefully no one will take our lead. I don't
1: know. Well, the cost of electricity being what it is, maybe not. You're probably safe exactly, for a while now.
3: Exactly.
1: <laughs> but it's... It's everything, you know, it's everything. It's, uh, it, it's,
4: it's this idea of a, of a, of a prison that needs you healthy and productive, you know, that wants you clean and pristine and, uh, and, uh, and where you're a number and part of a machinery and what it means also for the story and what you're building there. It's like, you know, the whole thing is just so strong, you know, uh, Again, it's a, it is it is an idea that you go like, wow, these we can elevate.
1: Yeah, it's you a know, theological.
3: Something. It's also the one theological part of the show, really, in a way. For me, that was when we got into it. I was realized this is and 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 Andy Serkis character particularly to me, this is like a purgatory, and 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 we don't have any religion or anything in the show, but but Andy Serkis is a true believer. He has to believe in that number. The God is his number. And he's a believer. And then you have you have you have your atheists, you have Melshi and the people who disbelieve in it. And then you have a lot of people in the middle who are trying to figure it out. And what happens at the end of it is uh, Andy Circus, in, in a very short period, time, a pe- short, short period of time has to realize there is no God. You know, and and so the sh- that aspect of the show is really it, it does it does a bunch of different things. It obviously turns uh, Cassian into a, into a de facto leader and, 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 and an organizer of his own mini rebellion in a really you know effective interesting way but it also really has this other dimension of of belief and what are you going to believe in and who are you going to believe and and and, uh, and what happens when
1: your belief system just disappears yeah it's it's a the dynamic that cassian has with kino loy is fantastic and the, the fact that kino loy you initially when you meet him you think oh we know this archetype i've seen a thousand prison movies i know who this guy is
3: yeah, it's yeah.
1: but we don't know who that guy is right like he's again like everything in the show he's many shades of gray he's not what you think he's he doesn't fit easily into a box he's a he's a character of multitudes and i love his evolution like his mini arc like was that was it always i mean Obviously, it culminates in those three words, I can't swim, which is uh, heartbreaking. Like, Was that always going to be his fate from the moment you got it? You thought, this guy's never getting out?
3: I, I honestly can't remember. I really don't remember. Um, we, it's very tough to figure out. I think I think, I think, it's probably born in the fact that we were very, very concerned about, uh, oh God, we, I mean, how many people could get away? How many people could we have escape? What was the escape be like? I, I, but that's one of those things that pops up just because you've done the rest of the work. When the rest of the work is there and everything's fundamentally real and proper and right, you get to the moment, you go, oh, my God, this is what he says or this is what she says. And you go, oh, of course, that's the only thing that she could say. I don't know. I don't remember the exact moment or even the
1: attribution of that. I like to think he found something buoyant and floated away and that uh, one day... I do it too. I, 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 do too. I, I, uh, I, I like that idea. I, 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 he's
3: not dead. We haven't seen him dead. It's so.
1: true. It's true. Uh, I also like the fact that Cassian gets sort of almost pushed off the edge because he's a loyal guy and you kind of feel like he would never have deliberately left him behind, so... Yeah, it's cool how it's cool how Toby blocked it. I like that. Yeah. At what point did you know what they were building there and did you always plan to show that as the sting at the end of the final episode yeah we knew that right from the start yeah it's a it's a nice touch because like we speculated a lot about it but it was just like could they maybe could that be important it's a yeah it's a lovely note to to end the show on it's 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 beautiful um but things that are i suppose less beautiful one thing i would mention is at what point in this process and where did it come from the idea to torture bix with the sound of dying children like that's 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 some hardcore stuff you put in there for a star wars show <laughs> uh, that's
3: another that's
1: another writers room
3: special that's another that's Bo and danny and i uh just high speed high speed imaginative riffing for 5 6 days and what do you do about torture what is it what can you again it, again, it's what can you do? I mean that—that's another rigor. You know, we talked about before about the rigor of having a real a, a real floor and everything. But there's also the rigor of trying to do things that haven't been done before, and, and and certainly not recreating things that you've done before. So the whole thing is to try to tip everything upside down every day as much as possible. And what can you do? And um, you know, the idea of something that you can't that you can't even express and and play for the audience, and and, and playing to the theater of the mind. Uh, was very attractive there
1: yeah you know? very effective very effective and and Dedra comes into her own there we haven't spoken about Dedra Mira really who is again you do a, an interesting thing here. you've got a character who is butting up against the patriarchy and for the first half of the show you are 100% on board with her you are with her these men don't know what they're talking about she's got and then you're like oh oh she's awful <laughs> like, and you've been rooting for essentially a villain Right. Like, that's that's a- we had that parallel experience
3: because we wrote chronological action, and in the room we were like, oh, she started coming up, and she starts beating Blevin, and it's like, oh my God, this is great." And this poor woman, and she's in this thing, and we write along, and then we get to the torch, it's like, "Oh, <laughs> her. <laughs> like But that's not the best way to do it. You write into it, you write happily for that, and then she, yeah, and then the, and then the, uh, then the vinegar. The, yeah, that the, that's that's something that uh, I,
4: I think make, makes this show special. You know, there is no judgment. It's. Uh for, for anything, you know, like heroes are not supposed to be heroes because they never do the wrong thing. Like ba- the, the baddies are not like just to be uh, th- just to, to disgust you. In fact, they're very, they, they could be very interesting, uh, you know, and you can find many things you have in common. And then the moment comes when you make a decision and you might have, that might make you different. But just that, uh, all the story behind, you know, you can connect with. And, and that's what's beautiful. That's when, when nothing, nothing is, 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 is in the, in the, like at the end where it's untouchable. This is a world that you can feel, you can, you can taste and you can smell, you know, it's, it's close. Uh, and, and no one is there. Like, no one knows exactly what, what, it, what you're playing, you know, you're just making choices. But you, you're not there. Like I'm here to be the guy, therefore I'm supposed to behave this way. No, I'm here to be this woman that has this issue and this decision to make. And and uh, you know, and that that applies for everyone uh, in the show, which is nice. Which is nice not to arrive with those stickers on. You know, like oh, I'm supposed to be really good and I'm yeah. supposed to be doing the right thing. You know, which
3: all oh, good writing universally all good writing is universally empathetic i mean you don't yeah. see any writers that aren't universally empathetic i mean they if you're not with everybody you're writing the events the events determine the morality or the value of the of the character not not how they feel they're all you know you have to be with
1: all of them yeah you've got to love your antagonists absolutely I, I mean
3: think- yeah you got to be them all you have yeah. to be all of them yeah.
1: Well, I've got to let you guys go in a minute, but I would like to end with one question, which is for both of you, which is like, without giving away, obviously, I'm sure you're not going to give us spoilers for season two, but feel free to if you want to. But it's more like, where do you think Cassian's mindset is when we see him at the very end, when it, that kill me or take me in? Like, where is he mentally? Like, what? where has he come at that point?
4: I think I would say very briefly, I think he understands a lot of what's inside, but there's a lot for him to learn. On, 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 on the scenario he's, he's willing to, to participate in, you know, like he, he, but he's certain of something that, that is, is, is about what he, he realizes what he's capable, you know, where, what he's capable of. And, uh, and he finds out that, that, that now he, he has that certainty, but now he has to understand what's out there, you know, mm. uh, which is a long, a long, there's a long way to go for that.
3: There's just no going back. I mean, it's that moment of. I mean, he's everything behind him is gone now, except the feelings that he has and the commitments that he has and the passion. The the road ahead is is unknown, and the and and how how he'll how he'll use how he'll use what he has, how he'll be used going forward, how he'll. I mean, it's a. It's it's been just the most i'd say it's the most exciting writing experience i can possibly imagine to be able to take somebody who's that a musket that's packed that tightly and be able to have, have four years now of a, of a of a of a saga to take him forward into someplace that we know and uh and uh uh i guess it's a long answer but he, he there's no turning back from where he is that's the, the there's a wall behind him now and
1: it's only ahead because you feel like the Cassian from episode one would 100% have been on that ship with B2Emo and and Bix. Like, he'd have been with them. But this Cassian is now a different person. He'd be
3: back in the strip
1: club. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100%. Well, guys, thanks so much for this. I will say, like as I say, this was our show of last year. I loved it. This has kind of, like, revitalized Star Wars for me. So a big thanks uh, from me and I think all of our listeners as well. So. Well,
3: thank you, Empire
1: Man. You guys have been amazing for us. Thank you. Thank oh, you. We- thank you. We love it. It's in the title of the magazine. What can I tell you?
3: <laughs> we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you. Yeah, we'll see you as the wheel turns, I'm sure. Thank you.
0: Okay. So that was Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna. And uh, I think things are nicely set up. We're going to obviously take some listener questions, but let's just talk about where the show finishes and where it sets up and what it sets up in, in season two, if any of you could remember, because I know it's been a while since you saw the show. Uh but yeah, it's really interesting. The, the finale is really interesting. The way it ends with that that confrontation between Luthen and and uh, Andor on on the ship on the Fondor, and you know mm-hmm. you have that sort of we know he's not going to kill him, obviously. Kill me or take me this, in. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's that enigmatic smile. But what I loved about the finale was that you know pretty much Gilroy leaves everyone on the board. With changed circumstances going forward into season two, and I'm I was surprised by that to be honest. I thought there would be more blood on the walls in the, in the finale, but there there isn't. I mean, a lot of stormtroopers get beaten to death with Fiona Shaw brick, but <laughs> but apart from that, I thought it was a uh, really really interesting how it pulled its punches, so to speak, with the larger storytelling game in mind.
1: Yeah, it kind of it sets up where he is mentally, isn't it? Because like geographically, he's kind of way back where he started in the first episode, but he's in a different headspace like he's very much like he's on board now he's now wants to take down the rebellion you know fiona shaw has has take galvanized down the rebellion. him fuck the empire he um, wants to take down the rebellion my did god did i say that did i say take down yes, the rebellion did. wow perhaps that was a freudian slip maybe that's what he does from the inside <laughs> Got no, Very Jacques the de Pan. that's right yeah uh i know the empire empire we like the rebellion we don't like the empire james bad remember R- 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 no,
2: good, like and Empire Bad. <laughs> Empire Bad, you're on the wrong podcast, James. It's
1: true. It is true. Uh
0: people have been saying Empire Bad ever since we launched this podcast in <laughs> uh, yeah. uh Sophie with you with your uh your screenwriter hat on. Oh god. Good job from the boy Gilroy.
2: Uh yeah. I mean I I, I um I think the thing that struck me really early on was that it was a show because because not a great deal consider it compared to the rest of the series not a great deal happens in the first three they aren't the most um mm-hmm. exhilarating they aren't the most uh, they aren't the standout episodes but i feel like i i remember feeling very distinctly in those three that already there was a ideology and a perspective behind the storytelling um which is just pretty absent In Star Wars, uh, at least in the mainstream, in the mainstream, um, in in the films and in other TV shows, they don't really have a take on the world. Um, They don't really have a point to make. They don't have to. That's not sort of the role that they play in the culture. They're not here to kind of inform or provoke or um, stir thought. They're there to they're there for escapism, really. And you know George Lucas talked about you know oh no my movies are about something they're about good and evil, <laughs> but um, they're kind of not you know because our understanding of good and evil quote unquote is so much more complex than how they're represented in these things. But they don't have to be any greater than that. But it was so evident from early on. In this that it did have an ideology it did have a perspective it had a take it had a, it had something to say about the world it felt like um felt like spooks does Star Wars and it just felt really surprising and engaging to have a sophisticated adult and like I I feel like I use that word advisedly an adult depiction of the banality of evil mm-hmm in a Star Wars show and it didn't feel cause I, you know, there are there are series like The Bad Batch, um, The Blah blah, the blah, um, blah. that deal with more well. adult themes than, say, The Mandalorian, but they still deal with them in that very Star Wars y, unsophisticated you know, uh, my 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 most disliked trope of sort of modern sci-fi Fantasy fantasy storytelling is, um, uh, what is it? uh, We'll survive if we stick together. Like, we'll do this. We'll beat them if we stick together. It's these very generic liberal platitudes um, (laughs) that mean absolutely nothing. It's like peak centrism. Um, And that's about as much as you can read into these things. And so uh, it just, yeah, you feel like Tony Gilroy wasn't only just infusing this with and his other writers weren't just infusing this with mm-hmm. a an ideology but that they it infused every element of the story they knew what they wanted to say they were making a point and they really weren't holding back on it um to the point where by the end and by certain episodes I was scratching my head thinking this show is really sort of saying the only way that you defeat tyranny and fascism is to fucking kill them which yeah. is <laughs> It's an ideology. it's something that you yeah. can read about that like the only way that like in historically that fascism has disappeared is not through conversation and debate, but through death. And so that is really strong. and I found that very stimulating.
1: <laughs> yeah, the tools of your enemy it's uh the tools of your enemy. it's a hell of a thing but also like bear in mind like this is star wars and it begins with him walking into a strip club slash brothel the first star wars brothel uh and then you have a woman being tortured with the screams of dying children like it's the kind of stuff where you can imagine kids going oh look new star wars show and then having just decades of therapy afterwards <laughs>
2: oh god yes the 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 um the earphones with the crying yeah. kids
1: it's just um, horrific
2: but I think I remember asking on whichever podcast I joined you on again like just me waffling on but I remember saying that like listening to that because clearly they weren't showing us the full unedited experience she's presumably experiencing I remember thinking like oh I'd survive that (laughs) That's fine i can cope with what she's just a few just kids I'm, yelling i live opposite a school
1: yeah it's much the same thing <laughs> i imagine it's slightly more grueling than being forced to continually watch the book of boba fett on a loop presumably not that much yeah. um mm. but it's mad isn't it that you know they talked about it that the that, that martha's line was fuck the empire not fight the empire mm. and it's like i love it I, i'd love to have been in the meeting where they were like oh yeah no we're fine with people being tortured with the screams of dying children but the f word that's where we draw the fucking line like that's the tone we're not going past that line <laughs>
2: Yeah, because the show was very, again, unapologetic isn't really the word. It's unafraid of violence and violent imagery and violent state violence. Like it just, I, I think that was what that was what kept me gripped in a way that a lot of other stuff doesn't. Even though, say, like The Mandalorian, which I really enjoy, I'll, I'll always watch it. Partly the reason I don't get really sucked into it is because it's sort of anthological and it's episode of the week and you just know he's not going to die. Nothing terrible is going to happen. So you're kind of waiting for the big plot points come to the end of the series. But every episode of Andor, it started to prove itself very early on that you had no real idea what was going to happen next. And that terrible things happened in this world and terrible, surprising things. It wasn't just big, evil generals kidnapping your child and holding them ransom and saying, I'd kill them if you do not do blah, blah, blah. Turn to the dark side. It's um, the state's going to lock you up for a crime you didn't commit for 20 years because that's the law now. And and I suppose, I don't know, in, in today's world, the idea of banal, unfeeling Non evil state violence. By non evil, I mean there's no, there's no malice, there's mm. no intention behind it. It's just the soullessness of state the fascism. bureaucracy, isn't it? Bureaucracy, it's like they, Locking you up. And- yeah, yeah. That's more terrifying to me. Like the idea that I would, yeah, I, I, you know, I lie awake at night, more, more terrified of being like arrested by, uh, disappeared by the state than, and, and what that would mean than being picked off by aliens which seems kind of fun <laughs> yeah. you know? so i think that's what felt so just so different and subversive and exhilarating about watching this
1: tony gilroy described his arrest as just he's arrested for shopping while mexican that's yeah, essentially effectively, that's effectively. basically what it is it's not
2: it's not it's not shy about its um its references and its metaphors and it's leaning into real life which i, I think star wars is normally sort of diametrically opposed to yeah. like it's the antithesis of real life though again Lucas would talk about Vietnam and of course he would. Blah, blah, yeah. you know but um, ultimately Star Wars was a sort of a reaction to the world it was like the world is horrible here's something really fun where good and evil are very mm-hmm. easy to identify and you could argue that in the way the world we're living in now that that is also a bomb and something that we, we enjoy at the moment but I also think it's incredibly refreshing to have the real world reflected back at us through the, the the prism of Star Wars, which is has never really been done. And um, it's not to say that everything has to be like that now. I think Star Wars is broad enough to survive multiple um, interpretations, but um, mm. it's it definitely felt. I think I don't know I think the accomplishment of it was that it didn't feel on the nose it didn't feel shallow it didn't feel cringe it didn't feel um like Picard when they come into the year 2025 or whatever <laughs> and they're like what are you doing arresting arresting these immigrants like uh do you do that now and it was <laughs> just so cringe let's,
1: let's never speak of season let's 2 of never, just never oh my god <laughs> and, and like
2: this could have been that in trying to you know in yeah. trying to I don't know. Be in nineteen eighty four. Be a parable. It, in lesser hands, that could be so awkward and embarrassing yeah. to watch. But in 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 a master's hands, it's um, mm-hmm. it's fantastic.
0: Having said that, I believe episode one of season two sees Andor temporarily relieved of his duties hosting. Uh, pod race of the day. Uh and then we see <laughs> a, a huge outcry to have Just a reinstated. speaking out against the Empire. <laughs> yeah, he really is.
2: He has a pod racing podcast called The Pod Pod. <laughs> he
0: does the Pod Pod. Along with um oh what's his name? Ben quadralino whatever his name is. Um
2: yeah. Greg Proops.
0: <laughs> Greg Proops and Scott capuro together at last. Uh, it, anyway starting a race by spitting a chicken at a bell who doesn't love to do that anyway um, we do have some listener questions on, on this show uh, so let's try and get to them now here's one from John Crawford John C666 uh, should the guy on Ferrex who rings the bell in the tower to start work every day get his own spin-off show as he seems to take that job very seriously I imagine
1: that's in the works right now yes, I believe it's called Anvil <laughs> the story of Anvil
2: Anvil it's like, uh, it's like it's like Victor Hugo's Hunchback of Notre Dame but set on Ferrex.
1: <laughs> the Time Grappler is his official name
2: The Time, you joking? The
1: time, no that's his the name, time the, time the Time Grappler, grappler. Mm.
2: oh i mean that is sort of fantastically star wars there's always got to be some <laughs> either some like apostrophe in the middle of somebody's name arbitrarily or just they're called something really literal
1: yeah <laughs> I, i'd like the fact rappelant. that on Ferrix, no one has a watch because they don't need one because fucking anvil man is up there sounding out the working day for them does he sleep does he ever sleep or is he just always up there hammering away at the anvil and kicking stormtroopers off when necessary
0: yes yes but yes, I suppose indeed. the idea
2: of hourly time, keep, keeping hourly time, is a very earthist point of view, Chris. Yeah. Maybe in space, in Ferric specifically, they have a totally different relationship to time. Maybe only once a day do we need to understand time. <laughs> he is the time banger. No, yeah. sorry, the time <laughs> the time, banger. time <laughs> banger, the time grappler.
1: I you think actually his his banging, his, his, banging, uh, his banging tunes <laughs> are specifically about the beginning and the ending of the working day. I think he's, he's a bit like a like a factory siren. So, what the, the fuck does he do the rest of the day? I don't know. Plays his Game Boy or something. Lazy he might prick. have to
2: work out his banging arms. Like <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. use one He's of those f- curls. <laughs> yeah, or those like hand gr- those grip <laughs> those grip strengtheners.
0: My word. Uh, my word. Um at Robin Java asks, has Andor proven that an R-rated more serious Star Wars set away from the most dysfunctional family in the galaxy far, far away, would work and has an audience. Also, is anyone else getting
1: really good at recognising when a volume is being used? Well, or not in this case. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, two big questions there. The, the the first one is an interesting one because like, whether there's an audience for it, I think remains to be seen. I don't have access to viewing figures for Andor, but I would suspect they are a, a drop in the ocean compared to Mando's viewing figures, even though it's a far superior show because it has a much smaller demographic.
2: Yeah, I suppose it depends, doesn't it, on, on what... I mean, because streamers being what they are now, their, their their relationship to viewers and the future is, is in flux. But um, you'd suppose that the Star Wars brand and Disney Plus operating out of the US is Broad and um, sturdy enough potentially to withstand a more niche show. The way the BBC has Six Music and millions of people don't need to watch Six Music because they have the ratings on BBC One and Two order to keep it all going. And the idea is that there can be something for everybody. So you'd hope that the brand of Star Wars is big enough and robust enough to support uh, smaller, more more niche projects. But you know they'll probably cancel all drama tomorrow, and there'll be a writer strike, and it'll all be over and. (laughs) <laughs> and that'll be me proven wrong. But um, the weird thing is, I don't see this as X rated. X rated. <laughs> I don't see this as R rated no, necessarily. No, definitely not. And I still think in my head a version of Star Wars where they're all having sex with each other and swearing <laughs> and stuff is just cringe. It's just like too try hard. It's like mm-hmm. all the nerd boys who grew up watching it like are now adults and they want to see like I want to like see her banging like a four boobed to Gruta or something. And <laughs> the <Christ>. Time
1: Grappler. <laughs> oh no.
2: And I just, I don't know that I want to see that necessarily, but certainly like sophisticated, adult natured storytelling. Um, I believe like all Star Wars can support that. Um, we just sort of don't we? You know, we don't really do it.
1: The, the R-rated <laughs> thing is interesting though, because people I think like in here had they kept the fuck the empire line I think it would have worked very very well in a way mm. that and people rightly complain about the swearing in discovery that it does feel try hard and it does feel forced yeah. does, and I yeah. kind of get that like cuz it really does it's not necessary when they cuz they don't use it for any particular reason they just people sling out a bastard for no reason it's like it doesn't that doesn't work They, they for me. do that here they do that in Andor and they, it feels no, more organic still... here though it doesn't feel like yeah. they make such a meal of it like they do on the bridge of the fucking discovery also
2: and don't let me I'm not going to get started but also <laughs> like the reason it feels organic in Andor is because they these salt of the earth like working yeah. oppressed people who are in the rebellion and in star trek they're in fucking work yeah and like Is how often do we ever military. blind each other in the military at yeah. work like w- with your colleagues maybe but at your superiors like the sheer fucking hubris like none no, no i that's why it feels really really awful like, you're like you're at work i don't talk to people like that at work i mean anyway, you haven't been anyway. in our
1: office but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's where we start it is. and it's that cringe is try
2: hard you guys it's try hard
1: yes yeah, fucking cringe and try fucking hard sophie <laughs> uh, what was the other part of that question there was a second half i can't remember uh, what it was. volume about volume Oh uh, well my feelings about the volume are well documented so i'll just park that here
2: i can't remember if i saw anything that made me go Ooh, volume and andor, but i did love i i did it reminded me that like oh no it's not just that i'm Taking against the volume due to overexposure. This is infinitely better. This yes. looks infinitely better. It looks real because it is real. Yeah. They look cold, they look wet. Things like yeah. that. It's not even just about the sets. It's about what the effect it has on the actors. Mm. Like you you know, you look at The Last of Us, like they look fucking freezing because they were. <laughs> and not the, not to say that actors have to suffer, but there's something about putting people in the real world yeah. that has But uh, well, they should uh, suffer
0: because yeah. they're scum.
1: All actors <laughs> are scum. Uh, Scum's you un- rebel scum and
2: scum. You act you act as scum. Middle-
1: find the more wretched hive of scum and fillety. No, it, it, it makes a huge difference and as you say it's not just because they use those stunning locations and i include blackpool among them uh wait I, what uh, we, you know the 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 um what's it that's the, not the, the
2: beach where he's arrested yes that's not Black- it's just no. outside
1: blackpool it's just outside blackpool i can't remember Will the they name made of it the look
2: town like tenerife or something <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> but it's yeah it's just it's just outside blackpool uh which is wild one of our listeners actually wrote in to say, oh, that big round building, that's like, I know it's the Civic Centre, so presumably the Pools of Mandel no. or somewhere beneath it.
2: Oh, I did know that they'd used a big, um, like a Jaguar factory or something, or uh, something some like factory that, yeah. in Warwickshire for something, but I didn't know they'd used Blackpool. That's but so even funny.
1: the sets that they do on the sound stages, so like the prison, it looks mm. stunning, like that's beautifully put together. And I think just having that sort of practical space, it just mm. feels so different.
0: All that stuff uh, actually makes it a bit more jarring when there are effect shots because they're not. Some of them are brilliant, but there's like one of the first times when Mom Mothma shows up at uh, Lex Luthan's and uh, takes shot.
1: What they've done to the
0: Barbican there is extraordinary. <laughs> and her car looks so, so <laughs> like <laughs> the CG that I would do with an out of the box <laughs> program. Um, it doesn't look that great, and then yeah. there are moments when Andor or Luthan are on, you know, speeder bikes, and it doesn't quite work. But but it's because everything else just looks really, really grounded. And listen, I'm sure there there's, I'm I'm sure there are examples of invisible visual effects all the way through it, obviously. But uh, it does feel, for the most part,
1: really, really lived in. But then look at like some of the effect shots like so the the space sequence I'm thinking you know with the Imperial interdictor, whatever it's called it's not an interdictor, mm. but something else you know that sequence where Rail takes out the Imperial ship like that is brilliant it's beautifully staged it looks excellent the effects are great like that felt like very much a, a premium Star Wars set piece to me
0: Yes. Yes, indeed. And leads us nicely on to the next question, which is from at Sean underscore O-L. Can you rank Luthen's space battle in all the Star Wars space battles? Oof. I know it was quick, but it was so unexpected and amazing. It may be top three for me. But because I because I, I didn't know 100% again, because I think you guys did a vaguely incompetent job uh, <laughs> during the last one special. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether Luthen lived or died at the end mm. of this, this season. So I was like, oh, is this it? Is this a moment where... You know, he does burn his life and he gets he gets boarded and they find out and they, they start tearing the whole thing down. So I was surprised when he went total badass and fucked up an imperial star thingy and yeah. then just disappeared in the distance, middle fingers of love, going, fuck you, I'm out, I'm out of here. That So that was a surprise to me. It's, it's really, really great. It's so
1: short, but great. I mean, it, it makes no sense that those little missile things take a minute to charge up. Like, what are they doing for that minute? Like, genuinely, what are they doing? I don't understand. Uh, because drama, but it makes no sense to me. But I, I loved it regardless.
2: Yeah, I, remember, I, I I I don't I can't I can't um recall it. Like beat for beat in my head, but I remember being like, wow, at that whole thing. So, um,
1: he's got lightsabers on his ship kind of thing. So he cuts open the tie fighters with that. But you know, it's, it's the countermeasure like preparing countermeasures, be ready in one minute. I mean, call me old fashioned, but if it's a countermeasure and it takes a minute for it to kick in, then you have a design problem there. But uh, beyond that is great
2: it's also characterful isn't it it's it's one of those moments that does more than just oh and now battle it's um you you instantly like well who is this guy really what was his background how's he learned yeah. to do this because there's nothing about him so far that suggested he's an extraordinarily capable pilot and um it just felt like a cool little insight into a guy who is mysterious by design
1: well he's got bruce wayne vibes doesn't he like because he's, mm, very, he's very yeah. much hiding in plain sight and he's obviously very very well, if not well funded just well off because that's an old sort of like trading tugboat type thing. even the like the Imperials are shocked that it's kind of got got it outfitted with like Q division gadgets all over the place and can do all <laughs> shit. and it kind of blows their minds because clearly he's been bankrolling all this stuff for quite a long time
2: um I, I, that reminds me as well about like how much I enjoyed the specificity of of the details in this series. um and I, I don't really have I don't know that i have the words to really describe what I mean here, but I feel like. In a lot of Star Wars media, there's a sort of a generic, galaxy's edge, Star wars to <laughs> everything from setting choice in the script to the way it's designed in the production. So if there's a conversation between two characters, you know, he's wearing generic, familiar bounty hunter outfit. She's a generic, familiar alien character, and they're in a generic, familiar Star Warsy looking bar. And there's never no one really goes into the detail of designing or, or their jobs or what their homes look like or um, or their, or or other places they might meet or things they might do. And th- little things like the way that this rebellion is organized, this part, this sector of it is through this guy's fake antiquity store. Uh, which is like a sort of uh, like a a laundering outfit Mm. uh, and Khan's home life with his mother, what his job is. um, There's an element of specificity and design and intentionality to that, that feels like this is a show that had a vision behind it. Mm. And that's, and when you talk about the sets and how beautiful it all looked, it's, it it doesn't feel like it's a, a show that was, created by a dozen people over two months um to fit a brief and to hit a mass market that is as mainstream as possible this was a show with a vision and mm. an an intention and a specificity that i think helps you engage with it on a level that you might not with something else
1: mm. but you're absolutely right and and just the the thought process because when you think about it it's perfect it's an antiquity shop is a brilliant place to launder money because who the fuck knows what anything is worth like this is worth a billion credits because yeah yeah and it's like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't need to give a reason for it it's a a brilliant way to have sort of like just nebulous amounts of money going backwards and forwards and i love the fact that mon whole issue is she hasn't she's left a paper trail right like it's the whole thing is she spent money and she can't account for it and she's got a problem and she can't access funds and it's like i know george lucas may have kicked off the phantom menace with you know trade agreements and the blockade of i mean jesus fucking christ the taxation of trade routes but this really gets into the nitty-gritty of it in a way that feels organic to the plot and it is it's brilliant
2: this is that done right. and I've always yeah. felt that the ideas in the Phantom Menace like aren't bad. It's just not done right. it's like executed. two drafts away from being a good script <laughs> and um this is that. and I think the other thing is something that I bang on about all the time and it's a little I suppose it's 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 tongue-in cheek, but it, it's also this for me was kind of the proof of the pudding feels like it was written by adults who've lived in the world and read books. and, and <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and have an understanding about how the world works, how economies work, how crime works, how politics works, how rebellions work, and not just written by kids whose only understanding of that is Star Wars. Mm. Um, and I think that you know when you feel like something's being and th- this is incredibly it's just offensive and I feel bad saying it but like when you feel like something's being written by a literary person and by that <laughs> I don't mean I, I don't I don't mean somebody who's educated I don't mean somebody who's posh like at all I mean like somebody who has a curiosity about the world and applies that to their trade
1: you say that but michael chabon was involved in season two of Picard, so look there is an exception Who's to every that? rule <laughs> sorry who is that, is that author a or, for it? your literary author of the yiddish policeman's union among many other books is that okay, he's a big fan well, of this is why it's but, so, also yeah.
2: offensive of me to say this because <laughs> there are a lot of incredibly talented literary well-read <laughs> and intellectually curious um yeah. writers who um through no fault of their own uh, are Keel hauled and pressured and destroyed and crushed into producing fucking shite <laughs> uh, myself included and i'm not intellectually curious at all my only understanding of the world is star wars so um so yeah but like to have something where you've got a writer who has all that and we know yeah. from gilroy's background he is a he's politically minded um mm-hmm. and to have that work not be crushed to death and to have the whole thing come out feeling very much like it's a vision, um, I think, is a huge um, success.
1: Do you not think it's wild that this this very special, different sort of standalone Star Wars experience exists, coming from Tony Gilroy? Because obviously, let's bear in mind, and don't get me wrong, Gilroy is amazing, and I love all of his work. But bear in mind how this all came all about. Of his work? Was, well, not all of his work, a lot. A lot <laughs> a, don't you comfort? Oh my god, <laughs> I forgot um, I did that. But but like the fact that. The idea was that Rogue One was originally supposed to be Star Wars' Black Hawk Down, right? Like, it was supposed to be a very different, very gritty, earthy war film set in the Star Wars universe. And then The Force Awakens made a bajillion dollars at the box office, and Lucasfilm went, Oh, no, 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 no. We definitely don't want to do something edgy and different. We want to replicate that and get all the money. And so they did a massive sort of vault fast on what Rogue One was supposed to be. And as part of that process, Tony Gilroy came in, and like, I can't, you know, I wasn't there. I can't speak to exactly what point he came in and what he did, but he was involved. In essentially, let's say, taking over from Gareth Edwards on that,
0: I don't know. I don't know about that because I don't whether they. I don't think they they exactly brought Tony Gilroy in to lighten the place up and, sure. to, and well, to no, he ma- I mean, he and, and we're some some still dealing with a film in which everybody yeah. dies, and I, yeah. I still think it's an incredible flex. Rogue One. I don't think it's as good as you know its reputation has been uh, rehabilitated over the years to, to suggest. I like it, uh, but it's I haven't back and see it. <laughs> it's triumphant, yeah. I haven't gone back to see it since since finishing Andor because I finished Andor literally twelve hours ago, and I needed to sleep and then uh, the feature and stuff. But I, I will go back to to rewatch it again, you know, with the knowledge of of this show ringing in my mm-hmm. in my ears a little bit. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting. Like there are moments whenever you see there's a one of the episodes ends with with Cassian looking out to sea wistfully, and of course you know that's that's how he dies. Essentially, he dies on a on a beach earning 20%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Never go full Gruber.
0: Yeah. But I don't think Gilroy was brought in to quite do that with Rogue One. I think the issues with Rogue One were, whether there were any issues or not, is is another thing. Well, but, he definitely, uh, like the, the
1: Danny May sequence, which is the one I think from yeah, Rogue absolutely. One, which always, that's yep. 100% Gilroy.
0: I think he came in and I think he absolutely connected to the Cassian yeah. Andor character in a way that perhaps maybe even took him by surprise. It's interesting that it's a Cassian Andor show not a Jen Erso show or... Mm. Or oh, uh, one of the other characters from it. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, that would, no that would one have needs been know my reaction to Sophie. But, no. but um, we we said that about Andor when it was announced. True. So they'd announced a 24 episode <laughs> Jin Erso show, we'd all go, oh, for fuck's sake. But it might be no, brilliant. And they're, like all this is.
2: Actors, they're all great actors. But holy yeah. shit, what a nothing character.
0: Baze um, Malbus. I'm just saying names because I, I can just remember what the characters are called barely. So who's Baze the Riz Ahmed character? I he
2: was good. I, like, I, I liked him, it was interesting. Is I was he, Riz Ahmed
0: he, as himself, I believe. As Riz Ahmed playing Riz
2: Ahmed. Tony Guru is American, isn't he?
0: He is. Yes.
2: Okay. No. I was going to say, is this the most English Star Wars? But it's not. But it is. Well, it
0: that's is the on interesting screen thing about it because because well, it's on screen. Is... But
2: I was wondering about the writing and um. But yeah. no, I'm looking at them all and they're all American. Yeah,
0: it's Bo um, will. They're all American. Bo yeah. Willman, Bo Willman, Willman, yeah. Yeah and is being produced from every nook and cranny There's there, like Dan Gilroy there's yeah. Tony Gilroy there's John Gilroy there's Roy Gilroy there's <laughs> like, the all all Gilroy. Gilroy's. I suppose <laughs> oh, the history
2: yeah. of Star Wars was that it was directed by like it was it was produced and directed in the UK yeah. this this yeah. tracks but um Toby Haynes directed much of the first block great english yeah. director Benjamin Caron, he's english isn't he?
1: Yes I believe he is yeah. He did the I believe finale. he is. Because as I recall, Tony Gilroy wanted to direct the pilot of this and was down to direct the first episode, but couldn't because during all the COVID stuff, he was stuck in the US and he couldn't get over here. And I that's oh, okay. my understanding of why Toby Haynes certainly does the first one. Uh, but I think he, he does probably fir- going to yeah. much him anyway.
2: Yeah, he yeah. does the first three, Toby. And then Susanna White.
1: Yeah, Susanna White. Uh, yeah, she's like a, a
0: veteran director. She's been around for, for years and years. Uh, she does she does pretty much that whole arc in Aldani. Mm. She does that whole the heist. And then Toby
1: Haynes does all of the prison stuff, which I love.
2: She directed Parade's End, which was like, I feel like I was the only person in the world who watched that and I loved it anyway. Never mind, that's something else. <laughs> well done, Susanna White, my new favourite director.
0: But yeah, it, it, the fact that, you know, obviously, I i, I think the, the Britishness of Star Wars was obviously something that they, they lucked out into. I'm not sure that Lucas necessarily set out to have the, the Empire almost entirely represented by by. Stiff upper lip Brits, but it works so beautifully here. It but does. also on the other side of things, just the fact that almost every single supporting character is is British in a sort of earthy, down to earth way just just makes it really really sing for me.
2: And not like British, like credit to them, which is most my hate my most hated football phrase. Um, but like uh, not Benedict Cumberbatch or Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah, it's Brit, it's British, like. You saw them in EastEnders a few years ago. It's fabulous. But, like, all those actors, the people who kind of make up our continuing dramas and our ITV and BBC shows who aren't famous across the pond are like, there are, um, oh, my names. There are like, there are West Wing people, like the great New York theatre actors who then blow up the screen. Uh, these are our like london theater actors who do the bit part they they play a murdered person on the bay <laughs> a, but they're absolutely fucking brilliant and they feel like real human people
1: everyone in this show is a that guy from that thing like yeah. every single one of you are, oh it's you oh it's you and you can't quite put my finger on who you are but i know you're my great because i've seen you in these other things
2: it's trevor from EastEnders. Alex alex <laughs> his real name
0: Christopher Fairbank, is in it, of course, as Olaf, the uh, the prisoner who who dies of the stroke, which uh, enables yeah. him to to break out of prison. There's and David Heyman shows up in Not those episodes uh, set in Aldani. Not that one but the other one. Uh <laughs> he shows up, you know, as the as the, the sort of chief Aldanian sage who is greeting the eye. And he doesn't really do anything, it's just set chant in gibberish but mm. he's like one of our best actors he just he just randomly rocks up
2: it's also so anton less anton lesser who i anton absolutely lesser. love in everything yeah. and he's like he's like mr wolf hall you know yeah I, I love seeing people like that in in things like this it's it feels so unusual
1: this is a show that got forrest whitaker in for two scenes two scenes they were good scenes they though. were great scenes but like you got Forest oh. whitaker yeah let's just chuck him in there it's fine
0: you got Richie from the Bear. It's it's all <laughs> happening from the Bear. When they get in the American guest stars they they do a big old flex. Get me Richie from the Bear yelled Gilroy <laughs> yes, <laughs> before the Bear came out. And
2: like <laughs> little things which you feel like almost feel like luck where like casting Genevieve O'Reilly in a 5 mm-hmm. minute moment in Rogue One to, like I mean I I'm because I'm not hugely familiar with her work prior to this I don't know if she was already like a uh, proven proven but like it feels like you cast somebody for a fairly small role like that and it feels like very good luck that then they are good enough that they can carry a whole series like she's phenomenal oh, yeah.
1: she's uh, great I mean, she was Mon Mothma, Mothma in Revenge of the Sith
2: Oh, of course, because that was yeah. a deleted scene. Yeah, that, yeah. that's an awful yeah. scene.
1: It was cut. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Have imagine,
2: you seen imagine it? being
0: a scene bad enough to be deleted from Revenge of the Sith.
2: <laughs> oh, there are a few. There are a few, and a few of them, and new ones keep popping up as well. Like when they start talking in droid to R two D two in the lift. Obi Wan Kenobi and Anakin. It's it's ugh, it's hideous. Oh god. And yeah, if you want to compare, like political Star Wars. Um, a great comparison would be, say, um, the uh, Luthan and um, oh, the Forrest, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Saw Gerrera um, yeah. scenes in, in in Andor, and compare that to the Natalie Portman, um, Jimmy Smith's uh, Rebel Alliances formed scene that was oh. cut from Revenge of the Sith, which is just like, we've got to come up with some kind of group that will fight the Empire. Yes.
0: An alliance of rebels, you (laughs) say?
2: A rebel alliance. We must never speak of this again.
0: (laughs) I'm a rebel. I rebel. Superb. Superb line. That's what rebel alliances (laughs) do, don't they? They they align rebelliously.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The thunderous applause line is the best bit of political writing in Revenge of the Sith, and it's good. That line would survive in this.
1: I interviewed someone once, and they misquoted that line. And it took all the willpower in the galaxy for me to not correct this a-list person who'd horribly misquoted the film. This is how James
0: Dyer dies. Yeah, with thunderous <laughs> applause. <laughs> not with thunderous applause, applause, Jim. But if you died, there would not be. There would not be thunderous applause. <laughs> I, I promise you. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly is is fantastic, Very and nice. uh, I, I, the way that Mon Mothma is transformed from that sort of. I by barely a character in Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. and and Rogue One to someone here who has got complexity and a backstory and entanglements, imperial entanglements that imperial are entanglements. that are just it's just so good. And I and her dickhead of a husband that you want to see <laughs> get his come up and but he hasn't even really done anything apart from being a dickhead. It's it's
2: also her radicalized so child. Her radicalized oh child yeah. is fabulous.
1: We haven't even mentioned Denise Goff or Faye Marseille, who was also spectacular in this. Mm-hmm. It's Fey Marce, mm-hmm. a... Vel Vel Sartha, her cousin, right. in fact. Mm-hmm. Cousin. Oh, of course, um, most most
0: characters are are given backstories, and we we're given uh, we're told about their backgrounds. The exception, I would say, is is Luthen, and we mm. still don't really know that, that. guy's I think. Deal. Yeah, there's lots of speculation out there. Someone said in the question, I can't find your name. I'm so sorry, but they're... They were wondering what do we think his
1: background is. A lot of people have suggested he is a Jedi. I floated this oh, to Tony Gilroy, and he shut that shit down very quickly. Uh, but as not in, in, I'm not going to talk about it, or as in, he you no, know, in way, a very much, in, in a kind of slightly irritated waved it off way. That's how I read it. He was like, "I'm not, I'm not getting into that." But it didn't seem like, "Oh, I'm not getting into that." You've rumbled me. It felt like it felt like, "No, that's just fucking stupid. I'm not getting into that." So I certainly the the vibe I got from him was that that's not a thing.
2: It sounds like he sees this as like you know for good or for ill as above Star Wars, and the minute you yeah. start bringing your stupid nerd <laughs> right? shit into it,
1: <laughs> he was like, "Oh, fuck you."
2: I feel like it's got a bit of that energy to it. Yeah. The only, um, the only character I thought uh, occasionally I had sort of like I, I sometimes felt that is it Bix the
1: Bix the Kaleen. fact that I want
2: to call her the girlfriend. Yeah. i had a bit Think of, you of the she girlfriend. A mechanic vibes. and black
1: market dealer. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was reading the same Wikipedia entry, <laughs> um, had had um, had a bit of the girlfriend vibes about her occasionally. And I felt, you know, horrifically for her, really improved in that regard when she became somebody important enough to torture. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and that will at least show off someone's acting ability. Um, but that felt a little bit, occasionally felt a little bit love interesty, um, yeah. but not mm. enough to really damage anything for me. And, you know, she ends up being more interesting than most. But- yeah. I didn't you know much think, about her other than girlfriend.
1: Yeah, early on, it's just oh, it's the implausibly hot black market dealer that we have here, Yeah. Uh, and Andor's ex. But as you say, once she's been tortured by the alien mind beasts, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's quite it's a much more interesting one. Especially when he goes to rescue her and she's in full on like PTSD.
2: Oh yeah, That's, she's just her mm, brains mm. melted out of her oh, yeah. out of her nose.
0: But this is what I was saying. Though. There's there's so many tantalizing setups for season two, I and mean, I, I loved Brasso for example. Uh, yeah. As well, uh, his big brick. burly mate. Um, and it, where is he going to go in season two? Where is Bix going to go? You know, because uh, obviously Cassian and Luthan are going to be off doing their own thing. But there's so much to get into. There's, there's, uh, there's Lonny, the the Empire spy, the Luthan's mole he, inside the of ISB. Element. You know, that was again a, a lovely reveal in that conversation in the lift when he's he's going down. And he's having the conversation with Luthan, and then obviously it leads to Luthan's. Did I I miss a joke?
2: Yeah, Big Lebowski. A really tortured Big Lebowski. Shut the fuck up, Lonnie. Shut the fuck up, Lonnie. You're out of your element. You're like a child wandering into the middle of a movie.
0: This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the
2: ass.
0: (laughs) This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass.
2: I got that because I feel like I send that meme to anyone who, including myself, when a text is misread or anything, like, shut the fuck up, Donnie. You're out of your element. You're like a child wandering into the middle of a movie.
0: <laughs> I only knew I'd I only knew I'd missed a joke because James was
1: impossibly pleased with himself for about yeah. 30 to 45 seconds well, no, afterwards. I was like, ha, ta-da, and neither one got it, and then I saw that Sophie understood it and I felt vindicated. I, so. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. But, no, I was
0: you know,
2: just sort of like, oh for God's sake.
0: Yeah. This is what happens when you fuck the ISB in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shut anyway. the fuck up
2: Lonnie You're out of your element
0: <laughs> Mark Okay. it's here dedra <laughs> maybe, maybe the season 2 Is just going to be The big Lebowski Replayed but with Star Wars But you know There's that weird Sort of Fucked up relationship That might be in the offing Between Dedra And uh, and Cyril oh, Sneer yes. Oh uh, yes make incel yeah. <laughs> energy uh, I mean what's going on there Who wants to see Those two get it on Not I me I love but- that
2: they really Didn't go much further Other than yeah, he's just a big fucking creep, which I really <laughs> liked. There's no because there's a version of that where you you are watching it and the evidence of your eyes and ears is telling you he is a big fucking creep and then, you know, the show has her swoon over him and you yeah. feel gross. But it it really it just says, Nope. He this is him. So I and he yeah. is just a bit of a creepy stalker. He's a mm. fanboy. Um and it is just creepy and the show just tells you that uh yeah so i'm really interested to see where that goes
1: she's interesting too though because denise goss take on that was that she like when he touches her the reason she's so shocked is because she's never been touched by anyone and like because the empire is her life and so she took that reading of the character when she played her that she really doesn't know how to handle the situation because she never had to deal with it before uh which i thought was an interesting reading
2: Miro, you should do that when a strange guy touches you anyway. That's an yeah, also, that's also an acceptable reaction. an acceptable
1: reaction, yes.
2: Yeah, to just shudder and back away. Yeah, Especially
1: when he's like, yeah, I've been sitting out here for days or whatever. He's I've waiting, waiting to see if you come by. That's not weird at all.
2: It was also great because normally there are people, little moments like that in Star Wars involve people coming up with all sorts of stupid plans. Like, how did you know I was here? Oh, well, I, I stole this thing and I've read this thing. and It's like, <laughs> I just waited and I waited and I waited until eventually I saw you. <laughs>
1: ding oh. ding 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 red yeah. flag red flag. <laughs> flags everywhere yeah you do like her though right up until the torture point you are on board with her 100 percent until are she you? starts i think are so are you I'm i genuinely think not. you not because because they set it up nicely because it's her versus the patriarchy right that's w- so you're you're in her camp even though she's obviously an evil imperial intelligence officer you're like yeah fuck the patriarchy and then you're like, like oh actually she's the worst it's
2: such a good storyline for Cyril. Initially you watch and or murder these two men and you know it's a bit sort of the last of us, you know you're you're with him because he's the hero and because you're watching Star Wars and as a default you're sort of like yeah fine it's justified that he kills these two men I'm okay with that. And then you cut to Cyril who believes his two colleagues have been murdered, which they have been, and he takes that to his boss who's like look I've I've got my own little patch of territory here. I don't have much empire imperial oversight. I'm really happy with that. If we start opening investigations into murders, we're gonna have oversight. So they got drunk, they they got into a fight. Who the fuck cares? And there's there's a level of reality. To that and intricacy <laughs> and that feels a really recognizable but also you suddenly find yourself at least me firmly in cyril's camp going what and he's just trying to do the right thing he's trying to investigate his colleague's murder and the complexity of my feelings about that were really interesting to me mm. the fact that i was sort of taking the hero side but then also it's more complicated than that and i think the same was with miro for the reasons you've talked about that she's that you've got even if they're not doing good things you, their motivations are really clear and you've got a reason to root for them because even though they are operating within the bureaucracy of evil they also have stakes that you recognize mm-hmm. and they are opposing forces that you would also oppose you know ju- there is uh, there is the patriarchy within the fascist party too and somehow you still find yourself rooting for the lady even though she's also a fascist yeah. it's there's a complexity to it that's really really enjoyable
1: less of a dick than her smug jobsworth colleague who was trying to say i think if that is my sector you will not get my reports
2: yeah it's just so again the writing it's so you think the picard version of that is like and why the fuck should i report to you and like they're talking in real grown-up language i just I, i couldn't get enough of it
1: yeah
0: well, not to be the patriarchy uh, cutting off a woman in her prime, but <laughs> well, uh, we do have to wow. wrap this up, sadly. We answered uh, at least
1: two questions, so that was good. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm going to
0: throw real quick, speed round. Speed, speed round to two of the most verbose people I know. Uh, speed round <laughs> to, uh, let me see, John Rob 5000. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but will the appearance of the Force, would the appearance of the Force be too outlandish for Andor uh, yes. so far? as only really transport this fantastical, but would magic ruin the world that they have built? There's a lot of talk of Palpatine, but we don't actually see him. Do you think, uh, you know, would would that spoil the illusion of something Ian McDermott
1: rocked yes. up? Yeah, bad. But, yeah, yeah. but not yeah. least for, because he is the embodiment of the kind of dualism that kind of Star Wars is built on, that very, very binary morality, which permeates all of the films because of the demographic they're at, which is not in this series at all. So,
2: I'm going to try and make my answer not too verbose but I think they probably <laughs> yes. won't. Yes, I think they probably won't, but I think their treatment of the Force and of Palpatine would be so fucking interesting that we would love it. Mm.
0: I would love it. I would genuinely love it. I think I think the show could take it, and I think the character could take it tonally. And I'd love to see what Ian McDiarmid, who is an amazing dramatic actor, could do. Uh, given those not constraints, but given that freedom, yeah, they, they would could make have a him nuance here.
2: They would make him Henry VIII at the end. They would make him Stalin yeah. at the end. You know, yeah. dribbling, dribbling, and nonsensical, and um, it's, it's the death of Stalin. I yeah, I think their treatment of that subject mm. would be so interesting that I actually want to see that, but I don't think they will.
1: Less banging on about Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> the wise.
2: <laughs> Have you heard the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise?
1: Oh. Is me. it possible
2: uh- to learn this power? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a screenwriting masterclass right there. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good scene. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it's an Leave alright it scene. Alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone.
2: I step like away. Step away, from,
1: step away from George. Leave him alone.
2: Specificity. That's in an opera house. It's not just in a generic room. It's an it opera is. house. And George like. is
1: in the sequence as well.
2: Oh yeah, it's a big blue man.
0: That's right. With Rick McCallum, isn't he? Yeah. McCallum's in that also.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what he's doing now? <laughs> did you ever wonder? Did you ever wonder? Because I did, I do, and I, I do
0: wonder it. sometimes. What he What's doing? he doing? What's he doing? He
2: has a production services outfit in Prague, <laughs> so he supplies um, he supplies productions with kit, crew, sets Why? up sets up sets up productions in presumably Prague and other Eastern European uh, tax efficient countries. I only
0: have the most basic understanding of how film finances work, but I, I've got to imagine that the producer of the Star Wars prequels isn't short of a bob or two. Like why why continue to work?
2: Well, I think being a production owning a production services arm, I think isn't that glamorous, but it make you a shit ton of money.
1: Yeah, it sounds lucrative, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you think
0: he's maybe like Luthen? Do you maybe he's running <laughs> some sort of rebellion and he's using this business
1: as a front? He has an maybe. Antiquities Production office somewhere in Prague. Oh my god. Mind tricks don't work, only money. Oh no. Oh no. Never go full Watto. Never go full Watto. (laughs) I'm a Tidarian, and mind tricks don't work on me, only money. I happen to have a chance cube here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dice, mate. It's a fucking dice. (laughs)
2: Yippee.
1: (sighs) <laughs> uh, storms coming up,
0: Annie. Better get home quick. Uh, Matty, the good storms
2: coming, Annie. Oh, my bones aching.
0: <laughs> which other family-based characters in Star Wars, or which Star Wars characters would you like to see be given a more serious adult upgrade? We've just talked about Palpatine. Palpatine. I honestly think that adult would really, Palp- really work.
2: The, the bureaucratic uselessness of Palpatine as a <laughs> as a as a decrepit figurehead, I think, is incredible. The Stalin rendition is uh, would be incredible. Honestly. And the Force as being some terrifying nuclear power that's only used once and kills a thousand people (laughs) and then you deal with that for the rest of the season. Fabulous. Love it. Sign me up.
0: Yeah. Do you think Vader would be interested in this? I I don't think we're ever going to get to that point, but do you think he would be? After Obi-Wan can Obi, that's a
1: hard pass. I think they
2: do the New Hope version of Vader as just being some, again, you know, useless thug. Um, mm. Who might accidentally kill a shitload of people, and then everybody has to deal with it. I would love to see everybody dealing with the effects of these people. Um, yeah, I'm quite up for it. I've, I've got into this on Twitter and stuff before. I'd be really quite up for it, only because I think these people can deal with that subject matter in a really interesting way.
0: It's a lovely link, isn't it, to the sheer Britishness of the of the 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 makeup of the hierarchy on on board of the Death Star. In mm-hmm. the first Star Wars, with your Don Hendersons and your Peter Cushions, and yeah, it, it, there's a real lovely connecting line between that and, and your Carrie Grant Fisher of no fixed and identifiable accent. Yes, I, 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 thought it detected your foul stench when I was brought on <laughs> board. <laughs> board, on brought, board. On,
2: <laughs> brought, brought on board. Brought on board. Brought on board.
0: This show basically strikes me as a Star Wars, I a mean, very adult version of a low Loa,
3: with Luke as
0: Renée yeah and there's the fallen Madonna with the big boobies and and Lonnie shut the fuck up Lonnie is is basically he's the British airman isn't
2: he Well didn't one of them buy a hotel in an episode. Didn't one oh, of I these characters... You know, real,
0: sorry, sorry. I thought in real life. I thought you I thought were full of incredible facts about what people are doing after their shows. Did you know Rick McCallum owns a production office?
2: <laughs> yeah. Did you know that the costume director now owns a hotel in Marbella? Uh, no, one of the characters in this buys a hotel in an episode, don't they?
1: I think you're right. I have ISB a very dim recollection. ISB supervisor
2: acquires a hotel as the newest ISB headquarters. So basically it's 40 Towers. <laughs> And I can't remember any of their names to decide who's Manuel and who's <laughs> Basil and Polly and that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cyril Sneer is very much is very much Basil. But uh, but there's <laughs> uh, I think we have to uh, bring this bad boy to an end.
2: Cyril, sorry, I wanted to do a Sybil as <laughs> Cyril. Cyril.
0: Cyril, that, would, that would works. That works nicely. Real quick, what do you think is Luthen's deal then? What's his deal? What's his, what's this dude's deal? And do you think we're going to get to see? what it befell anti-circus you
1: know whether Kino I don't just think so. I would love there. to, and and I think Tony very much likes to believe in his head that he found something buoyant and floated away. But I don't think we'll see him again. Also, I think that's perfect. I don't think we need to. I think he had this perfect little arc, and he's done, and he's brilliant. Uh, but on the Lutheran thing, I think I don't think he has any wonderful destiny. I don't think he's you know related to a Palpatine or anything ridiculous like that. I think he's just a guy, and his background is fuzzy for a reason. And I think you know he he obfuscates, but I don't think there's going to be some huge reveal. Well, well, I think we'll learn more about him, but I don't think it's suddenly going to be something stupid.
0: Couldn't you have just used the corpse of Christopher Fairbank as a flotation device? Possibly. He's going to throw it out there. <laughs> he should go back, get it, throw it into the ocean, and then use that to, to float around with.
2: Our bodies sink before they float, don't they?
0: I don't know. If, he, if he's in his bag, he could use it
1: as a flotation device. The, yeah. the bag would form a natural air pocket. I refuse to believe there is nothing in that prison that's, you know, buoyant there must be something that floats
2: i think i think i think what happened to to andy circus is what befell andy circus is that he befell he yeah. befell and he died he, befell, and, he banged
0: he his head, head, head off he, he,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah and i love that just like james said i absolutely love that mm. i think it's perfect and yeah again i trust them enough if they want to bring him back they'll do something interesting but i think that's a perfect little arc and uh, it's mm. happy there um and i'm i'm terrible i never theorize about characters i never think ahead i'm not i've never been one of those nerds who goes i have a theory about i'm like oh i just that's why it goes in one eye and out the other i don't really engage with anything i'm just terrible i'm 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 everything i hate you'll become everything you swore to destroy (laughs) yeah i just i just sit there dribbling going and then whatsapping about things um, so yeah, no, I have no theories about uh, him. Happy to be happy to be led by the nose.
0: We shall see what happens, and uh, we shall. Uh, he's almost certainly going to be killed at some point, though Luthen. Sadly, but uh, but yeah. I, do, I do like him. I love, I love, I love his dual life. I love the the fake, insincere smile he slaps on, along with the wig, which re- <laughs> which reminded me of he's got strong Gene Hackman in Superman the movie energy when he puts that wig on, and he's just he's got that sort of Lex Luthan energy. Also, that I, that I love.
1: He has palpatine energy in the bear in mind that that's what palpatine does. does his whole life is like you know in you know his day life he's like i i i should be looking at your development of great interest and then he's like so be it jedi the second he's out of sight of everyone right, you know he's on the hood it's the like, Senate. exactly And hour too weak um yeah <laughs> i'm too weak too oh
2: weak. dear too weak <laughs>
0: Anyway, um I've got to bring it to an end. All I all I can say <laughs> is I hope that, that we in, see so. those two aliens that uh who, who, who basically just <laughs> yes. give Cassie their her ship, you know
1: I forget what they're called. There is in fact, you one's know. Called are,
0: Freedy, one's called D, one's called
1: Free. had Freedy. the race of alien I actually had written down, but it's interesting because it's not an alien heavy show at all. Uh, so and then it's these quite... two dudes suddenly so <laughs> just rock up. Two dudes in massive sort of like latex suits turn up. Like, oh what? yeah! It's quite jarring, actually, that sequences. Jar jarring. Misa
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, thinking this podcast is coming
2: to an end.
1: Oh god!
2: <laughs> Misa thinking, "Are yes, the people are gonna die?" <laughs> oh!
1: <laughs> <you're>
0: drinking <laughs> this. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the jar plosives. Yeah, it's it. it's gonna happen. We gotta stop this. We gotta this. St- shut the fuck up, Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> <Sunclubs> <blinks. laughs>
2: shut the fuck up, Qui Goni.
1: Yeah.
2: Anakin, don't <laughs> it's Anakin, it's Anakin, Anakin drop. It's drop, isn't it? It's drop Anakin, Anakin, yeah. drop! Anakin drop! Anakin! Drop! <sighs> <sighs> but
0: Master Yoda said we should be mindful of the future.
1: But not at the expense of the moment. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> that, that's the kind of wisdom we tune in for.
0: Oh my word. Anyway. This, this started off so well, and now it's just basically a Phantom Menace soundboard. Uh, that's pretty much what it is. Anyway, oh, kill yeah, God. this is what happens when you fuck a Toydarian in the ass. This is what happens when you fuck a Toydarian in the ass. This is what happens when you fuck a Toydarian in the ass. <laughs> in the ass. That's it for our Andor spoiler special. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I say listeners' questions special in inverted the commas. They will but, have uh, questions
2: after this. That's for sure. <laughs>
0: Uh, it is goodbye to Sophie Petzl. Thank you goodbye. so much indeed. Thank you. Thank you again. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Sorry. Thank you.
0: Sorry. Thank you and apologies from James Dyer. Oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> so, so very sorry.
0: <laughs> so
1: <Yeah>. sorry. So. Mr. <laughs> General.
2: You are my brother, Anakin.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> Let's bring some peace to this podcast. As for me, well, the ego that started this pod will never have a mirror or an audience. That's the truth. Or the light of gratitude. So, what do I sacrifice? Everything. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> such an Bye-bye. intense Bye bye <laughs> bye. And if Tony Gilroy is listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> For everything, please come on the podcast to talk by Michael Clayton. I think it is one of the greatest films oh, of all time. Yes.
2: Goodbye, old friend. May the force Goodbye. be with you. The... <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye.